I'm going to be continuing our series um, in well-being. Over the last seven weeks, we've been exploring this whole subject of well-being. And really what we've been looking at is the fact that human beings are beautiful and full of potential. And life is really good. There's so much to embrace and to enjoy. And yet the truth is that human beings are also really quite fragile. And that life can sometimes be really hard and feel somewhat overwhelming. And we are complex. We've got a heart, a soul, mind, and body, and they all interact in all sorts of different ways. And everybody wants to live with a sense of well-being, and yet all of us can find ourselves in moments of time when we seem to have lost precisely that. Um, Maybe when we find our minds are awash with unwelcome thoughts, or our emotions feel unstable, or our physical health is a bit sluggish, or our spiritual lives feel dry. Um, But Jesus' promise to us is that we would have life and life to the full. So he says in John 10, 10, and all of his promises are true. So we take them seriously. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians 1, 20, it tells us that all of God's promises find their fulfillment in Jesus. Every promise of God is yes in Jesus. So you can open up your Bible and whenever you see a promise of God, you can know that is fulfilled in Jesus. And so... To embrace all that God has for us, we look to Jesus. That's the pattern of our lives. He is the shepherd of our souls. He's the son of God. He's the Lord. He is ours. And we get to be his. So discovering what it truly means to be human and to live well comes from looking to Jesus. And over the past six weeks, we've explored well-being in a number of different ways. We've looked at God's grace to the burnt out. How... And no moments when, when life is just too much, God comes with kindness, not harshness. We've looked at a life of rest, what it looks like to, to, to enjoy the finished work of Jesus for us. We've, we've looked at mental well-being, how we can have tracks of thinking that can be really unhelpful and destructive. How do we establish new tracks which exalt the truth of Jesus? We've looked at spiritual well-being, what it means to enjoy the Spirit of God living in us. A few weeks ago, Glenn looked at physical well-being, how our bodies are to be used as an act of worship to God, and how do we take care of our bodies? And then last week, Adrian looked at emotional well-being, the importance of understanding we do feel loads of different emotions, and we need to feel them, acknowledge them, and process them, and then bring them to God. To be honest, this series could have been twice as long as it is. It, It really could have done. And all of those different areas intermingle And sometimes we can make category areas, assuming if life goes out of balance, that must be a spiritual problem, whereas perhaps it is that your emotions are just running riot or you've got a way of thinking that's just unhelpful. They all interlock. And the thing is that the things we've looked at are not a quick fix. The lifestyle of well-being may start in a moment, but it's a posture that needs to be continued for a lifetime. And so... This isn't, okay, right, we've done well-being now, everyone's well. It's a case of, okay, we, we know what Jesus is offering, we're going to take him seriously, we're going to commit together to keep walking down this route. And if I were to summarize this series, it would be in one phrase, which is this, a life of well-being is one centered on Jesus. Body, heart, mind, soul. Come back to pause, center, continue, looking to him. And today we're going to continue and finish the series by looking at relational well-being. We've over the weeks looked at a number of different dials which will come on the screen now. And we're going to look at the last one which is relational 
well-being. Some of us are extroverts by nature. Um, you just you love being around people. You kind of hunt out crowds and feed off the energy of others and process externally. Some of us are like that. Some of us are introverts by nature. We need a good amount of alone time. We kind of process internally and we prefer the company of a few to the many. But whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, all of us are relational. All of us are. It's intrinsic to our humanity. It's who we are. We can't escape it. Human beings need relationships. And the Bible makes that clear. And then research and psychology supports it. And then our own experiences confirm it. And I just want to quickly look at those different things by way of starting into this whole idea of relational well-being. Firstly then, why do we need relationships? Well, we need relationships because we were created to reflect God. We were created in his image. When God made man in the beginning, he placed Adam in the garden and he saw it's not good for man to be alone. Creation was good. Humankind, very good. Man to be on his own, not good. Why? Because we were created in the image of God. It tells us in Genesis 1.27, God created us in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So to understand what it is to be human, we need to understand where we've come from. We were created to be image bearers of God. And God is relational. Therefore, we're relational. God has eternally existed in self-giving, loving relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. And so in 1 John 4.8, it says God is love. God's always been pouring himself out in love of another. That's fundamental to who he is. And so in John's Gospel, chapter 17... We see Jesus praying to the Father in the upper room just before his crucifixion. We looked at it in Easter time. And Jesus, we hear him speaking of the glory he had with the Father before the world began, of how he and the Father are one. And we hear Jesus delighting in the love the Father's had for him since before the creation of the world. For all time, God has been relational. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, we see the love of God in the Trinity, bursting out at Jesus' baptism. As Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove, and we hear the Father's voice saying, this is my Son, whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. So the love of the Father is communicated to the Son through the Spirit. That's how it's been for all eternity. We have a relational God. And so as those made in his image, we too are relational. It's in our DNA. It's part of who we are. Right from birth, we're built for relationship and dependent upon others for forming connections. Just this week, um, we had our 11-month-old nephew, little Jack, come round. And Jack is a tiny tot, and he is just bursting with desire to interact with people. I mean, he wants to play hide-and-seek all the time. He's wanting to make eye contact. He's wanting to clap when he can kind of figure out how. And he's, um, he's wide-eyed and giggling and wanting to interact, to connect. He's looking for relationship. He's kind of studying your face, wanting to take you in, wanting to connect. We're like that from the get-go. It's part of our humanity. 
It's natural to our humanity. We need others to live. And that continues right throughout our lives. We can't be like God, bearing his image outside of relationship. You know, I really have got a silly sense of humor. And I'm really good at winding people up because I'm a middle child, so that's what we do. Um, I would have never discovered that skill if I hadn't been in a relationship with someone to wind up. Relationships just intrinsic to our being ourselves. We kind of discover who we are in relationship and we discover other people in relationship. It's part of our DNA. And the discipline of psychology reiterates this fact. In a paper entitled Social Connectedness and Flourishing, this is how I spend my spare time reading these bad boys, um, published in the Universal Journal of Educational Research, the author, Erislan Kapan, he lists some of the benefits of social relationships that they have on health. And I quote this, this is what he says, many studies have found that social connectedness is positively associated with the sense of belonging, personal meaning, life satisfaction, improved health status, cognitive functioning, and well-being. What he's saying is that we've researched this stuff, and what we've found is our emotions, our minds, our physical health, they all benefit from being connected to others socially. But we know this, don't we? That's why one of the worst punishments we've invented as humankind is solitary confinement. When we put someone in a cell on their own with no interaction with anyone for a length of time, we know that's the, one of the worst things we can do to them because it sends you mad. Because we're meant to connect with others. Professor of psychology from the University of Chicago, um, John Cacioppo, he and his colleagues have presented research finding that feeling isolated from others can disrupt sleep, elevate blood pressure, increase morning rises of the stress hormone cortisol, alter gene expression in immune cells, increase depression, and lower overall subjective well-being. We need social connection. It's part of who we are. can't live well without it. He and his colleagues go on to present three core dimensions to connectedness, which we'll come back to in a minute. He says that there are three connections to social connectedness. One of them is intimate connectedness. They define that as coming from having someone in your life you feel affirms who you are. Relational connectedness comes from having face-to-face contacts that are mutually rewarding. And thirdly, connective connectedness, which comes from feeling you're part of a group or collective beyond individual existence. That's what their research shows you need. In a minute, we're going to look at how God meets every one of those needs for us. But the truth is, we know, sadly, there are many people around us that exist without any kind of social connections. Loneliness is an increasing problem, actually, particularly among the elderly. The Guardian newspaper recently reported three-quarters of older people in the UK are lonely. It's tragic. It's got something to do with the erosion of family. But I don't think we really even need research to confirm that we need relationships. Our experience confirms this. We just know that. It's intuitive. This was brought home to me again just 10 days ago when I was on the train down to Bristol. I was going to visit my brother to get a bit of time with him. And <coughs> in the final 20 minutes of the journey, an elderly lady came and sat next to me. Her name was Carol. had a little bit of trouble getting her, her bag sorted out, so I just helped her with that. We got chatting, and, and Carol says to me that she's um, on her way down to see some friends to go on holiday, and that's something they've done for decades. But she said, but this time I really didn't want to go. In fact, 
I was in tears this morning, asking myself, why am I putting myself through this? As we talk more, she just said, just 12 months ago, I was widowed. Me and my, my husband have always done this trip down to see our friends, and I didn't want to go. But she said, I knew I had to go, because if I didn't, then I never would. And I know I need that connection. I said to her, Carol, I think you're so brave. I said, I think you're so courageous, and I think it's great you're doing this. I said to her, Carol, I believe that the reason we're sitting next to each other is because God wants you to know he knows you and he loves you. Her husband had died of motor neuron disease. He'd been diagnosed, and then six weeks later he died. I said to her, Carol, I'm a doctor, and I've looked after lots of people with motor neuron disease in a hospice. It must have been such a hard thing for you to witness. And I said, but Carol, I'm also a pastor, and the Bible says that God is the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. He wants you to know his compassion, his comfort. And I said that Jesus is described as God with us, and he wants you to know he's with you. And we just got chatting. It was just a really kind of powerful moment. It was a God moment. I thought when I pre-booked my train seat, I was just getting the cheapest booking. <laughs> but actually, God had other plans. He, he determined the seat I would sit in because he wanted Carol to know he knows her, he loves her. We've got a good father. It's not just a pumped up version of ourselves. He's a good father. And we need connection. We need other people in our lives. And let me just say at this junction, this is not just about romantic relationships. I'm, a, I'm aware that there'll be some in the room who would love to be in, in a romantic relationship or married. And I don't want to in any way overlook or disregard the sense of disappointment that can come from hoping for that and it not having happened or not having worked out like you thought it would do. And it's not wrong to desire that type of relationship at all. I know it's a huge blessing for me. My relational well-being is, is um, massively added to by being married. Um, but relational well-being is, is not contingent upon marital status. It can't be. The most relationally well person ever to have lived is Jesus. He's single. Um, and so what does it look like to, to cultivate relational well-being? Well, let's remember that research from Professor Cacciopo. It will come up now. He said there are three dimensions that we need for social connectedness. There's intimate connectedness, which comes from having someone in your life you feel affirms who you are. Well, the only person who can really affirm who you are is God. It's God meets our need for that. No one can tell you who you are better than the one who made you who you are. And wants to bring you to himself to affirm who you are. And we'll look at that in a moment. And then he talked about relational connectedness. Has, comes from having face-to-face -face contacts that are mutually rewarding. We just need really good friends. Who we can be ourselves with. Nothing hidden. No, nothing held back. We need those close relationships. Actually, small groups are a good way to develop relationships like that. I'll talk to you a little bit about that later. And we need collective connectedness. It comes from feeling you're part of a group or collective beyond individual existence. That's what the research says. It, God in his grace and his wisdom has given us the church so that we're part of something far bigger than ourselves, a vision to take on and be part of, a purpose that we get to build towards. So what I want us to do now is to look at how God meets 
our different needs in these various ways. We'll take each of them in turn so that we can cultivate relational well-being. First of all, let's look at intimate connectedness. Our truest needs for intimate connectedness can only really be met in relationship with God. Three weeks ago, Adrian spoke about spiritual well-being, and he looked at what it means to have the Spirit of God living within us. I'm not going to cover all that ground because he did it so well. So if you didn't hear it, go online and, and please listen to it. But it is important to make clear that we can never know true relational well-being without enjoying and cultivating relationship with God. In fact, without enjoying relationship with him, all other relationships will suffer because we'll end up looking for them, looking for in them what only he can provide. If you're looking for someone else to ultimately be the one who affirms who you are, then you'll put such a lot of pressure on that relationship because only God can do that. He's the one who can give us intimate connectedness. The Bible tells us <coughs> that God knows us. In Psalm 139, we learn that he knows our frame. He knows how we're made. He's familiar with all our ways. He has discerned all of our thoughts. He just knows us. All of the days of our lives are written down in his book. Jesus tells us in Luke 12 that God knows even the number of hairs on your head. That's how interested he is in you. David says, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you should care for him? But he does. He's mindful of you. He knows our needs. He knows, Psalm 44 says, the secrets of our hearts. You're completely known. He knows our hopes and our fears. He knows our strengths and our weaknesses. He knows our failure and our sin. He knows the things we would hide away from others to present a better picture of ourselves. He knows, and he is pure, holy, wonderful God. The Bible says that he dwells in unapproachable light. And yet he invites us to come to him and be truly affirmed in him as his image bearers. How? Through Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus, the only begotten son, gives himself to us so that through him we too become children of God, affirmed in him. Hebrews 10.19 says, We've got confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us. See, Jesus, the perfect righteous one, gave himself up for us, having lived the perfect life. He was poured out on the cross to give us his perfection and to wash away our sin. So the Bible says that um, he who knew no sin became sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what he did for us, so that, that we may be able to come into the presence of God, the most holy place, with confidence affirmed in who we are. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. That is the greatest gift of the gospel. The removal of your guilt and of your sin is only such good news because it brings you to God, who is the one we need more than anything, who can satisfy your deepest longings, who can affirm who you truly are. We can come to God now. Whoever we are and wherever we are, we can come and receive that deep 
affirmation because of faith in Jesus. We get united to him and he, the only begotten son of God, makes us like him, sons of God. So we can sing, thy my true father and I thy true son, as we did earlier on. Ultimate relational well-being comes from him. God gave us his son to make us his sons and daughters through faith. He's crucified and risen saviour. He's alive. He's alive. He gives himself to us still. This is the gospel we believe in. We take hold of it. It's precious to us. It's dear. And because of it, we get to become again image bearers of God. Restored image. Who we really are. You don't become less yourself when you become a Christian. You become more yourself. And this isn't something that happens as a one-off. And it's not a once-a-week activity. No, it's a daily receiving of his goodness and of his grace and of his invitation to come, of cultivating relational well-being. It starts with cultivating relationship with God through Jesus. Maybe there's someone in this room who'd say, I just don't know that. You can know it today. John Piper says he's, he's as close as faith. He invites you to come. Maybe you do know that. Are you cultivating relationship with him? Are you enjoying relationship with God? Are you investing into that? What does that look like? Well, the same way as I would invest in relationship with anyone, it's just spending time with them. It, you know, all of life is lived in the presence of God, that's true. There is no, this is a kind of God activity and this is a not God activity. You know, work, rest, leisure, it's all in the presence of God. But there's something so important about having devotional time. Opening up the Bible, learning about God, getting him, allowing him to show you who he is, having your vision of him expanded, praying, speaking to him, hearing from him, sharing your heart with him. For me, going for, for walks in Licky Hills, like where Rich went in that video, and just allowing nature to come and, and minister to me something true of God, and then singing songs of praise to him. This is how we cultivate relationship with him. So first, intimate connection is what we desperately need to be relationally well. That comes from cultivating relationship with God through Jesus, the way to the Father. But we also need people too. In fact, one of the ways we get to know God better is by getting to know people better. It goes hand in hand. We need relational connectedness. It tells us in Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, it says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. We really need one another. We really do. The truth is the Christian life is nigh on impossible to live on your own. It's just not designed that way. Um, you need encouragement. You need spurring on. And so do I, big time. Otherwise, you can quickly become like a lump of coal taken out of the fire and it just burns out and it loses its light and its warmth. Put it back in the fire amongst the other lumps. Sorry to be so rude. Um, and it warms up again and it catches its light and it restores its purpose. We need each other. We need to be feeding off one another's faith, encouraged by one another's love, reminding each other of the hope we have in Jesus and enjoying each other's different personalities, our idiosyncrasies, just our different skills and our different enjoyments in life. And this takes at least two forms. Close friendships, which is what the prof would have called relational connectedness, 
and group friendships within a larger group. So let's look at close friendships. You know, we really need people that we can just be completely transparent and honest with. Share your hopes and dreams with. Share your fears and doubts with. People can go through such a lot of life wearing a mask and hiding who they really are. And in doing so, the deepest parts of us can be left unknown. Your deepest discouragements, unaddressed. Your deepest hurts, unhealed. Your deepest hopes, untapped. And Christians too can fall into living that way, hiding their deepest selves away. We need to come alongside each other so we might really know each other. Dallas Willard is an American philosopher. And he says one of the things he loves about kids is that they haven't learned to manage their face yet. That's a really good expression. My um, four-year-old Anna, she's just got the most expressive face, and so you always know what she's thinking or feeling. You know, if she's excited, it's like yeah, kind of wide-eyed, and if she's confused, it's kind of all written over her face. And if she's sad, then it's like the whole world has fallen apart. You know, it's just written all over her. And if she's angry, then you're like, whoa, don't mess. She just hasn't learned to manage her face yet. She's like an open book. Chloe, my seven-year-old, is beginning to manage her face. Um, I, I'm sometimes thinking, oh, what's going on here, Chloe? We need to kind of tease it out a little bit more. <laughs> By the time you're an adult, it can feel like life's just one big game of poker. Just wear your poker face. You know, don't let anyone know what's really going on. But actually, that's really unhealthy for us. We're not meant to live that way. I'm not saying that you know, any moment of any time, you should just burst out with whatever's going on. I'm not saying that at all. But that we need to have people in our lives with whom we don't have to manage our face. We can just say it as it, as it is. We need to have people with whom we can laugh hysterically and cry bitterly. People with whom we can express our excitement without fear of being taken the wrong way. You know, you're getting a bit proud about this. People with whom you can express your disappointment and just be really honest about it. People with whom you can be confused. People who can encourage you. It's vital to our well-being. We need people like that. The Bible paints a picture of what such friendships will look like. And it's really attractive. So it says in Proverbs 17, 17, A friend loves at all times. We need friends like that who will love us at all times, even when we're being a pain in the ass. Even when we're being high maintenance. Just a friend who will love us at all times. James 5.16 talks about confessing sins to one another and praying for each other. There's such power in confessing our deepest failures to one another. It breaks something of the shame of them. It breaks the hidden nature of them. Having people that we know, we can just, we can just say it as it is, that this is what's happened, this is what I've done. I just need to confess this. I need to tell someone. And when we do that, we get to preach the gospel to one another. We get to to say, well, 1 John 1 says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and purify of all unrighteousness. We get to point each other to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Throw off everything that entangles, the sin that so easily entangles, everything that hinders. It talks about that in Hebrews 12. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. We get to do that for one another when we're having those open relationships, when we just say it as it is. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Sometimes need people in our lives who will just say the hard things that maybe we don't want to hear. You know, sometimes we just need people who 
because they're so committed to us and love us, they're just going to tell us it as it is when we sometimes need challenging. My friends, John and Katie Newbold, always tell me when I need a haircut. Um, that's how I know I need a haircut, you know, because they just say it as it is. I need people like that, otherwise I'd be a bushy mess. Um, Mr. Shaggyhead. So um, we just need people in our lives who will say it as it is. And James 5.19 speaks about going after a person if they should wander from the truth. We need friends like that. If we find ourselves wandering off, friends who won't say, we'll see you later then, but who will come after us, turn us back. No, this is the truth. We need people like that in our lives. And Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens. And then it goes on to say, and so in doing so, you fulfill the law of Christ. It's beautiful beautiful imagery that Jesus has carried our ultimate burden the burden of our sin of our separation from God he's carried it and, and done away with it at the cross and, and when we carry each other's burdens we're being really Christ-like we get to share with one another what is it that's burdening you are you enjoying friendships like this are you enjoying friendships like this have you got people in your life who are just good friends like that Small groups are a good context for friendships like that to begin to develop. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes time sometimes to develop that level of trust and openness. You may be in a small group for a year until it starts to feel like, yeah, they've got friends like that now. But it's something to commit to. It's something to invest in. We need to have friends in our lives who are at the same kind of life stage as us. People who journey through life together. You may be going through similar things and you're able just to be honest about what that's like. We've got people like that in our lives, Becca and I, and it's just vital. But also I think that kind of close relational connectedness involves having people in your lives who are just at a different life stage to you. Who maybe have been there and done that. Who, who, who you can go to and say, this is hard. Is it ever hard like this for you? Oh yeah, it was. Oh good. Um, how do I get through it? We need people like that in our lives. Relational connectedness is so important. But we also, according to the prof, and actually according to the scriptures, we need group connectedness. The writer of the Hebrews implores us, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, really vital to our relational well-being is that we're part of a group embracing a bigger vision than ourselves. Life's not all about me. A group where you're known and accepted and belong. Church is an amazing gift from God. It tells us in 1 Peter, once you were not a people, now you're a people. Because of Jesus, we get to be joined to him by faith, united to him. And then immediately we're then united to one another, connected to one another. We're a people now. And so we get to be part of this group that's far bigger than ourselves. A destiny that we have together, a vision that we're part of together. Something to embrace together. So important to our relational well-being. Here are some of the benefits from group connectedness of the church. One of them is encouragement. It says in Romans 1.12, Paul talks about being mutually encouraged by one another's faith. And when we get together on a Sunday or at a prayer meeting or creative worship or during the week or whenever it might be, we get encouraged by one another's faith. We get to remind ourselves of who God is and how good he is for us. And that encourages us. Another benefit is a sense of purpose. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, it describes the church as being like a body. 
lots of different parts with different functions, all equally valuable and important, all with a role to play. Get part of the, 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 the church, the body of Christ. There's purpose that you have. It's vitally important for your well-being. It is also a benefit of shared revelation from God. We've enjoyed that a bit this morning already. 1 Corinthians 14 says that everyone has a contribution to bring when you gather. Maybe a song, maybe a tongue, an interpretation, maybe a word of encouragement, a prophecy. Sometimes it will just be a hug. You just need someone to give you a hug. We get to reveal something true of God to one another when we gather together. It's vitally important. We get to also journey through life together. Again, 1 Corinthians 12 When it talks about the church being like a body, it says that when one part hurts, the whole body hurts. And when one part rejoices, the whole body rejoices. That's why we make much of people coming back having got married. Because when one part rejoices, the whole body rejoices. But also when there's someone struggling, we won't necessarily shout it out from the rooftops at the front because that's not going to bless them. But we're going to hurt with them. We're going to love them in that place because we join together. Journeying through life like that, I tell you, it's such a blessing. We take it for granted so much. I just know we do, because all the time I come across people in my lives who just feel like desperate to share life with someone. People who are amazed that at church we would cook a meal for someone. Just that type of thing they don't hear of. People, a friend who comes amongst us a couple of times and she's always in tears because of the love in the room. What we enjoy is so wonderful. It comes from God. We need to be embracing that. Devotion to one another is another benefit of this group connectedness. In Romans 12, 9 to 16, it it describes what love looks like as we gather together. About honouring one another and providing for each other's needs and showing hospitality. And another big benefit is that we get to enjoy the presence of God together. In Matthew 18, 20, it says, when two or more are gathered in my name, I'm right there with them. God's presence comes amongst us when we gather as a group in a different way to when we're on our own. It's a massive benefit of being together as church. So Oasis Church, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. We need each other. We need each other. We need to stay connected I benefit from you being around on a Sunday. I really do. I, I benefit from meeting with people in the, in the week. Let's keep committing to doing that. We need one another. It's vital to our relational well-being. And as we get closer to one another, we get closer to God. This diagram just very briefly illustrates that. Um, if, this is, if those blue square circles... <laughs> need a drink. Um, <laughs> Of water. Um, if, to qualify that statement. Um, if those blue circles are ourselves and we relate to God, then what you'll find is the, more, the closer you come to God, the closer you come to people. And actually, the closer you get to people, the closer you come to God. That's just the way that God's designed it. That's why the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbours, you love yourself. And so that's why at Oasis Church we say we're all about loving God and loving people because actually they're inseparable. They go hand in hand. And as we're enjoying this relational well-being together, others look in and find it attractive. 
You become like a city on a hill whose light is seen and it draws other people in. I think it's in the John 14 or 13, Jesus says that they'll know, they'll know you're my followers by your love. As we love one another, people know there's something different and it draws others in because we're all about drawing others in because this isn't an exclusive cliquey club. God's kingdom is always spreading outwards to draw others in. And that's what we're about. Relational well-being is about intimate connectedness, relationship with God, who affirms who you really are. It's about relational connectedness, having those open, honest friendships. Small group is a good way to start developing those. If you're thinking, I really like that. How can you help me? Yes, we can. We can get you fed into a small group, which will help you with that. They're kind of groups that meet outside of a Sunday morning, normally midweek. They're not meeting over August, just because this is a pattern of, of rest. But in September, they're right back, and I'll help you get straight stuck in. And group connectedness, church, we need one another. Church is not an activity on a Sunday. It's a group that we belong to. It's a, it's a body we belong to. It's his body. Why don't we stand? I'm just going to pray. Maybe if you just close your eyes, just aware, here we are now at the end of this well-being series, which I know for, for many of us has been really timely. And God's now wanting, I think, to seal some things. Just wonder whether maybe you're here today and uh, intimate connectedness, this idea of relationship with God is a new thing and sounds good. I want to give you an invitation to come down and find me afterwards. Just to come find me and we can talk through what that, how that journey might begin for you. How that relationship might begin. Maybe though you're here and you're like, no, I know God, but actually, truth be told, I haven't felt very connected. Just needing to again come to him and say, Lord, I do want friendship with you. Maybe you're really in need of close friends. Maybe there's a loneliness that's felt there. Wherever you're at, God knows. He knows you. Remember the number of hairs in your head. He discerns your thoughts. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows you better than you know yourself. It tells us in 1 John that he's greater than our hearts. Sometimes it talks about us. Sometimes our hearts condemn us, but God is greater than our hearts. He knows everything. It brings us peace at times when we think, I'm not sure why I'm feeling heavy. He wants to come and, and help you to know you're known. You're loved right now. Let's just wait on him. Sometimes it's just helpful to use our bodies to express an openness. So you might want to just put your hands out. Just say, you know, I'm ready for you, Holy Spirit. I'm ready for you. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Spirit of the Lord lives inside of those who have put their trust in Jesus. So there is freedom. There is freedom. Father God, I just pray for my family here, my brothers and sisters. I want to thank you. You've made us a people. Lord, that's your work. That's your doing. I want to thank you, Jesus. You invite us into relationship with you. Oh, you say, come. Come, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Jesus, we know you're the way to the Father. 
I pray here for anyone who hasn't come to you, that even right now, Holy Spirit, you'd open their eyes to see something true of Jesus, the way to the Father that they might come. Lord, I pray for those who would just say, I just feel dry in my relationship with God. I just need more of him. I think that's a desire you place within our hearts and you'd love to meet that desire. Pray even now, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you cause a sense of being known and being loved to fall upon your people? And Father, would you keep joining our hearts together that as your people we may love one another well and in so doing express your love for each other. God, we love you. There's no one like you. We worship you. We thank you that you come You came, Jesus, to give us life and life to the full. In faith, by faith, we receive that now. In Jesus' great name, amen.